selling smoothies is what I do. But for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, this is the third episode in our three-part series that we have titled Biblical Hospitality. Today on the show, Bree Stensrud and Matt Sorens join me. And let me just tell you, these are two people that I respect, I mean, immensely. Not only do I respect them so much for their work that they do around immigration, but I respect them for the compassion that they have and the tension they hold and the way they lead. And you will hear that today from both of them. Bree Stensrud is a director of Women of Welcome. She also has a new book coming out in the spring called Start With Welcome, The Journey Toward a Confident and Compassionate Immigration Conversation. And if you have been listening to these three episodes and you're like, I just don't even know where to start, Bree's book is a phenomenal place to start. And yours truly got to write the foreword for that book. So I'm super excited about that. You can find that anywhere you buy books, especially over on Amazon. Matt works for World Relief, which I've been a supporter of and a fan of for a while. And in fact, we're going to talk about a family resource guide that World Relief has right now just for you Happy Hour listeners. We'll put the link in the show notes. If you go to worldrelief.org slash Jamie Ivy, you can download that and we'll talk about it in the show today. Guys, speaking of downloading stuff, I want to tell you this resource that we developed for you. It's a resource that I think is very useful if you were to spend 10, 15 minutes kind of looking at what do I have to do in the next 10 days before Christmas and then again the next you know, 11 days before the end of the year. Holiday season can often be stressful. And I know some of you have already gone through this guide because we've been talking about it for a while and you've told me how great of a resource it's been. But if you go to my webpage, jamieivy.com, you can sign up for a free downloadable. It's called Your Guide to a Stress-Free Holiday. And basically what we want you to do is to write out your priorities. If you were to think from now until Christmas, from now until the end of the year, what are your top three priorities? What are things you have to do? What are the things you should do? What are the things you want to do? And then we're going to ask you to go through those and audit your to-do list. And then you're going to write out your new list and you'll be able to see, hey, what are the things that I really want to spend my time on over the next 15 days? Also including that download, which is worth it no matter when you download this guide, are three recipes from my husband. If you don't know, Aaron Ivey is the cook in our house. He makes phenomenal dinners for me almost every night. And we've included three recipes in that guide for you. We've got roasted veggie salad with maple lemon dressing gluten-free cast iron cornbread, and one of my personal favorites, roasted broccoli with quinoa and sweet carrot vinaigrette, which he did make that for Thanksgiving this year. I want to say thank you for listening to these three-part series all about biblical hospitality with people who were on our trip with us to the border in November. Uh, If you want more information about any of these organizations, 
Everything's in the show notes. Go to jamieivy.com and you can find the show notes there. It is your one-stop page for everything we talk about. You guys, we have one more show for the end of the year. We do not have a show for you the last week of December. Let's just be honest. Everyone's sitting around doing nothing. And so we're not going to have a happy hour show. And then we're going to come back in January with... Honestly, one of my favorite people is going to be on the show January 3rd. I'm giving you a little sneak peek, and he is the author of one of my favorite books I read last year. Okay, friends, here's my conversation with Bree Stensrud and Matt Sorens all about biblical hospitality. Matt and Bree, welcome to the happy hour. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Um, Bree is a, she has been on the happy hour before. Matt, this is your first time. Welcome. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I, I just was like thinking today as I was getting ready for this, I'm like, I remember you released a book like in 2022 and I tried to have you on and I was like, this would be awesome. And then, you know, time went by. And so I'm really grateful that you're here and Bree, it's always a joy to talk to you, my friend. Now we're in the middle of this series all about biblical hospitality. On the episode before this, we heard from four ladies who were on the trip with the three of us. We all went to the border, San Diego, Tijuana in November. And so I want to talk about that. And a lot of conversations in this day and age, especially coming into a, a political year, are around immigration. And so we took this trip, we loaded up a bunch of ladies, took them down to the border. And um, I'm going to ask you guys some questions. But first, you both work for amazing organizations. I'll start with you, Bree. Tell me about Women of Welcome and what you do for them. Sure. It's always fun to be here and have all the conversations. Uh, but I direct a project of World Relief. So Matt and I work very closely together. It's called Women of Welcome. And Women of Welcome is an online community for Christian women who want to engage the issues of immigrants or refugees from a biblical perspective, not necessarily a political one. We do talk about politics, but we are completely nonpartisan. And so if you want to dive into your Bible and or maybe you're asking questions about where to go with all your God-given compassion about this, just show up, start asking your questions. We will love on you and bring you into that community. And then Matt is really, you know, I'm the online community side of things for Christian women. And then Matt is really the programmatic global machine. So there you go, Matt. There's your intro. Matt, Matt the machine. The Matt the machine. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but for Brie, I'm sure it's a compliment. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so I serve as vice president of uh, advocacy and policy for World Relief, which basically means I'm responsible for uh, governmental policy issues, as well as a lot of work with churches and denominations, really trying to help uh, the communities, uh, you know, our church supporters of World Relief, as well as uh, other volunteers and others think about public policy issues like immigration policy, refugee policy from a distinctly Christian perspective. Again, in a nonpartisan way, uh, but think about how do we apply the, the Bible and how do we then look at the communities that we're serving on the ground at World Relief in partnership with lots and lots of local churches all over the country and really around the world. How do we address the policy issues that come into play there as well? It's so great. I don't know if I said this on the episode that came out last week, if someone said this or if we just talked about on the trip, but someone said to me at the end of the trip, they said, I left not knowing where Brie or Matt stand politically. And I, <laughs> I think y'all would take that as a compliment because you guys both run organizations that really do try to uh, be bipartisan. I'm going to say this and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think you would both say that you're, it's not like you don't talk about politics because I think politics are very important. Politics inform our policy, which is what you work on, which inform people. But you guys have both said we need people from both sides of the aisle to care about immigration. Would you 
Matt, would you agree with that, especially from world relief stance? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, my job is focused in some ways on politics, like it's policy, but it, we are a nonpartisan organization. So you're never going to hear us say, go vote for Republicans or go vote for Democrats. Um, but I think it's also a mistake to say, never talk about policy, because if we really love our neighbors, um, of course, we should be the people picking up refugees at the airport and mm-hmm. serving food to people who need it and, you know, meeting human needs. But to paraphrase Martin Luther King Jr., you know, if if you keep going down the same road to Jericho and fe- keep finding people beaten up on that side of that road, if you really love your neighbor at, at a certain point, you've got to ask the question of what's wrong with this road. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think our motivation of world relief, you know, we don't start with politics. We start with ministry. Well, we start with the Bible and that leads us to ministry. But then we find that there's some situations where really our ability to minister to people and help them to flourish is limited by a structural issue, a structural problem. And that's where we then engage public policy by trying to work with both Republicans and Democrats and independents in the Congress and among our constituents, amongst, you know, those who are part of local churches. We, we want you, if you're a Republican, we want you if you're a Democrat to speak up for immigration policies that we think are consistent with biblical principles. It's so good. Um, I know Bree will not take this in the wrong way because I've hung out with Bree many times. Matt, it was my first time to hang out with you. And I would say you were like a highlight for the trip for me because I literally just wanted to sit and listen to you talk for hours upon hours um, because I'd never spent any time with you. And you just had so much knowledge. But also what I always loved is you you just taught us so well on this like biblical view of immigration and 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 even how do we bring that into our politics? And I was talking with Jessica and I was saying in the last episode, I'm like, the conflict and the tension for me is so real of like, what does it mean to be a Christian in America? Like, (laughs) what is it? How do we be a Christian? It's so hard. And I think it should be hard. And I think it should cause us to constantly think about it. Brie, you guys running Women of Welcome, one of my favorite things about your organization is the way that you guys do exactly what I just said that Matt did for us there is like you're consistently pointing women to scriptures and what does it look like? I would love to hear from you. Um, how has it been over the last handful of years since Women of Welcome has been around helping women kind of um, untangle, detangle things that we've just always heard and always seen and really diving deeper into like, what does it mean to think about this from a biblical point of view? Tell me a little bit about that journey with Women of Welcome. Well, you know, it's so interesting. I, you know, when I first started really going deep into immigrant advocacy work, I thought for sure, I'm like, someone is trying to trick me in the fact that I really, truly thought as soon as I really get in, I'm going to find that like boogeyman of open borders. I thought I was going to eventually kind of like that was going to slip in somewhere. And then all of a sudden I was going to be on this like progressive slippery path to like all kinds of things that I had really just, you know, pushed aside my whole life being a conservative evangelical. And I can tell you, I have had the opportunity to talk with the Biden administration, with the Trump administration, with progressives and conservatives, everybody on all sides of the aisle from DC to the border. I have law enforcement to politicians. I have never once heard an open borders preposition, conversation. And I mean, everybody who has any kind of reliability in this space, they just know it's not a tenable option to to talk in that way. And so, or just solution in that way, because it's not a solution. So I it's just so interesting because when you really start to listen, and you show up with curiosity, 
Um, there's so many amazing, beautiful people in this space who come from all different corners of politics and denominations. And you really realize that there is so much unity and common ground that you can find with people that you never thought you had before. And honestly, I had a woman ask me one time, she's like, well, what, what way, what way do you want me to vote? I know you're nonpartisan, but what way? And I said, honestly, I'll tell you. And she was like, oh, what is it? And I was like, I don't care <laughs> because I, it's going to flip every four to eight years. Right. So I need people who are on both sides of the fence. So it doesn't really matter to me where you land. And you and I both had a beautiful conversation with Eugene Cho about how your vote is going to be imperfect. And it's really just about holding our elected officials accountable, no matter whoever it is that's elected. So, yeah, you know, you know, I was listening to, well, I was actually a, a co-host on The Holy Post, and we all are familiar with that. It's one of my favorite podcasts. And yeah. that week, we were talking about abortion and politics. And uh, Phil said something, that I think I mentioned this to both of you guys on the trip, that I, I haven't fact-checked him because I'm not a fact-checker. Like, I just, I really do trust people that do I... we need to fact-check Phil? <laughs> I don't know. I think Phil's pretty, he's pretty reliable with his research. But anyhow, what he said to me was that... Um, a, an exit poll revealed that abortion was actually not the highest thing that was on Christ, people who would, um, you know, associate as being a Christian, but immigration was at the last uh, um, at the last presidential election exiting polls. And so, Matt, you lead the policy arm, and so as much as we can say, like, you know, it's just it's all Paul, it's all political, it's all political. You also really talk about it being biblical as well. And I think one of the girls who said this on the interview, she said one of the things that surprised me the most was I only thought of immigration as a political issue. And so I'd love to hear from you about how do you hold both to be true as it is a political issue. We live in America, and like Bree said, like no one's asking for open borders. We need safe and secure borders. So there's politics involved, and also as a follower of Jesus, it should matter to us also because biblically, how do you bridge those two together? Yeah. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that Phil's source for that stat is a LifeWay research survey before the last election. Um, and I think they're a very credible source. And it's true. What it doesn't tell you is, well, where are evangelicals at on immigration policy? Because it could be your top issue and half of the people are in one direction and the other half are in another place. Um, and I think what we've actually found from LifeWay research with a lot of studies is some really interesting things. Evangelicals actually have fairly nuanced views on immigration. They almost all want secure borders. And as Bree said, so do we at World Relief. We've always been really clear about that. They also almost all want people, including immigrants, to be treated with dignity as people made in the image of God. They want orderly systems, but they also affirm that legal immigration is a really good thing. And even for those who've come unlawfully into the country, uh, they think drawing from some biblical principles, uh, or at least inspired by them, I think, that there ought to be ways for people to make things right. In fact, about seven in 10 or more evangelical Christians say that people should be able to pay a fine and have the opportunity to earn permanent legal status if they are undocumented immigrants. But the other thing that we found from Life of Research that I think is the most troubling finding of that survey that, that they did on immigration a, a, about a year ago is that only about one in five evangelical Christians say they think about immigration primarily from the perspective of the Bible. And the nice folks at LifeWay who helped us design that survey actually told us up front, well, you know, people kind of lie on surveys sometimes. Like if you give them the choice of the Bible and they're evangelical Christians, they know that's the right answer. But still with that dynamic at play, it was only about one in five who said, the most important factor influencing my views on the arrival of immigrants to my community is the Bible. 
And we might conclude from that, well, that's because the Bible has nothing to say on this. But the reality is the Bible speaks to this theme so, so often, uh, so often that we can't possibly go very deep into what it says in a short podcast conversation. But from the Old Testament to the New, from the first chapters of Genesis, uh, where the command is, you know, people made in God's image and they're told to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. That's a command to migrate, arguably. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the heroes of our faith, whether you're looking at Abraham or Moses or Ruth um, or, you know, into Jesus himself, we're about to celebrate Christmas, fleeing to Egypt as a small child, fleeing persecution, were immigrants, one sort or another, crossing borders. And then God has these very specific instructions about how to treat immigrants, especially in the Old Testament, which actually had some legal ramifications for the people of Israel, uh, almost entirely in, this, in the general category of these are vulnerable people who you should look out for in a special way. And in the New Testament, there's this repeated command uh, to hospitality, which is not just having your friends over for a meal. It is how it is philoxenia. It is the love of strangers, mm. which is kind of a countercultural command, at least in our society. And yet it is a command in Romans 12. It's a requirement for leadership in the church in First Timothy and in Titus. And there's all these examples of people in the scriptures who loved strangers in extravagant ways and as a result were blessed by God in the process. So there's so much biblically that we could go deep into all that. What that has to do with policy is I think we start there with the Bible. We find some of those core principles that people are made in the image of God. The God has also established government, which is why we can affirm having secure borders and having orderly processes and processes to keep out people who'd be seeking to do harm. The God has also established the family unit. And so we have an interest, even as a society, as well as as individuals, in seeing families be intact and kids not separated from from their parents. Um, And we have this idea of, you know, we want rule of law. There's good reason for that. And we also want to be compassionate. We can Mm -hmm. bring those things together. And we can do so individually, but also we can expect public policies to do that as well. And I think that's, we want to start with the Bible, not to never get to the policy questions, but to start with the Bible, let that move us into proximity with immigrants, into relationship. And that's most of the work that we do at World Relief, is helping churches and volunteers love their immigrant neighbors. And then that also can inform how we think about the public policy questions. I love that. Well, let me jump on the back of that real quick, Jamie, because when you think about the Bible's command to love your neighbor... I think we all know and love Michael Weir and Michael Weir has this great talk on, on Q ideas. And he basically said, you know, in this day and age, in this country, there is really no way to love your neighbor without getting involved politically. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean us shoring up next to a partisan party line or, you know, picking sides. What that means is, is to love your neighbor. Well, means that you have to be close enough to your neighbor, be in proximity to your neighbor enough to know what are the pain points in their life and everything in this country has some kind of structure that is connected to local public policy or national federal policy. And so if you're really wanting to love your neighbor well, there are hurdles and burdens that you will discover as you get in closer relationship and proximity to people. And therefore, you do have to engage in some way. So um, in order to love your neighbor, you do follow that biblical biblical command. You are going to have to get involved in politics at some level. But that's really kind of a big open for discussion kind of thing. There's no like, and this is what you have to do, which is, I think, very intimidating to people who think it is a very political thing, right? You have to pick sides. No, we're not. There's a plethora of options here, you know. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. 
And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Speaking of intimidating is I think that that's how a lot of people would describe what this conversation feels like. It feels intimidating. Um, like you, I think you would find people who are either like very extreme. We see the extremes in everything, right? There's extremes and they're very, very loud. And then there's people in the middle who are just kind of like, I don't know how this relates to my life. You know, Matt, you told a lot of ways that we like probably actually do have inner our lives intersect with people who are have either immigrated here, they're asylum seeking here, like, you know, they are immigrating to our country. We probably do have interactions with them. But I think a lot of people in the middle there, they do feel scared. They feel uncomfortable. They don't know how to do this. And Bri, I love that's what you guys do at Women of Welcome. And in fact, you have a book coming out uh, next year, 2024, called Start With Welcome, The Journey Toward a Confident and Compassionate Immigration Conversation. So I want to talk about that real quick. You provide that space for women within your group. And I think as a woman who has also stepped into some conversations that often make me feel uncomfortable, I don't know, what am I supposed to think or how am I supposed to feel or am I going to be woke if I say this or am I going to be, you know, too conservative or too liberal? 
it's intimidating. Can you tell me a little bit about the community that you guys have developed and honestly how people can also be a part of it? Well, you know, Women of Welcome is a place where you can show up as you are. You can show up messy with messy questions. You can ask in messy ways, but just know that we will want to disciple you into a better conversation. And that means having grace and chari- grace and charitability for you. And then also just grace and charitability for whoever is on your other side, mm-hmm. you know? And so what I feel like is that most Christian women, while they don't have confidence because it's intimidating, they don't have confidence to speak up about this issue. They do have compassion. Mm-hmm. And so Women of Welcome's whole entire purpose is to attach confidence to your compassion. That doesn't mean that we're going to tell you where to go and put you on a certain track and make sure you get to this place and vote this way. Absolutely not. Like I think every time we go on a trip, Jamie, I tell people, it is. I'll just be very clear up front, it is not my job to be the Holy Spirit on this trip for you. I, I actually am pretty confident that the Lord has told me, get out of my way about this, right? Because... <laughs> I will, I will bungle it up in some way or another. The point is, is that we need to have a conversation. We need to have a conversation with the Lord and we need to have a conversation with each other because these are biblical mandates. And according to Matthew 25, the way in which we love our neighbor or the way in which we refuse to love our neighbor is the way that we're going to be known or recognized at the end of our lives. You know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's got some eternal uh, ramifications if we don't get this right, as well as other things, right? But it's not like at Women of Welcome, you're joining the community because you're now, this is your number one issue. You're joining the community because there are other like-minded women who are saying, I have compassion about this. I don't know where to go with it. I don't know what to say about it. I'm going to get attacked. I'm already getting trolled. Are there other women who feel this soft spot as well and want to just attach confidence to it. And honestly, the book Start With Welcome is about having an easy-ish conversation about a really hard topic. And so there are a lot of really great books about immigration out there floating in the world. Daniel Carroll from Wheaton has some really great ones about Bible and the border, Christians and the border. Matt has several really good ones out there. You know, and a lot of those are really academic and they're very specific. So if you're like, total, like, I want to know the policy. I need to know all the stats. Matt is your dude. Here he is right here. And his book is excellent. I have probably four copies around my house that I just keep. It's like my immigration Bible. But if you're like, I want to just have an easy-ish conversation and kind of just have an on-ramp into this and just find out that I'm not alone, start with welcome is for you. Mm. I love and that. And so Women of Welcome community. And you can join that on Instagram, on Facebook. We have a newsletter that if you're not like, I don't want to be on social, but you don't want to miss anything, our newsletter is a great place to be. And then we also have a private group. And there have been a lot of your listeners that have come onto that private group as well. And basically what that is, is it's a very curated group that says, all right, I'm going to show up in a messy way, but I don't want to do it on a public page. How do I do that? And so you join the private group and you find women who are asking about, is anyone doing this in my community? Does anyone want to do a Bible study? Um, I feel like I know I'm asking this wrong, but this is what I want to ask. And everybody's going to show up and just love you and say, well, this is where I started. Here you go. You know, so it's just a great place to be. I love that so much. And just to remind the listener or the viewer is that on 
our show notes page, we put links to every book we talk about. So if you're like, I don't remember the name of that book. Also, I believe you're talking about Matt's book, Welcoming the Stranger. Is that the one? Yes. Okay. He's got got a few. Yes. That's my Bible. Yes. Um, I'll put all those, jamieivy.com. You can, I'll put them all there. You know, um, Matt, I want to talk to you about this, about this. I don't know if this is new, so you can correct me. Is the path new with World Relief? A few years old, but few years old, few years old, but um, it's a community um, that you guys have have started, and we also are wanting to talk about that with at my website, Jamie Ivy, as well. And so, I would love to you just to talk about the path real quick and what that is. Yeah, the path is basically our community at World Relief of people who sustain our work, um, who, and that's our work all over the world. Our mission at World Relief is empowering churches to serve those who are experiencing vulnerability. in large part, that's talking about people who've been displaced, whether that's right now in Sudan. Um, we're having an incredible refugee crisis out of Sudan into Chad, and World Relief is active both in Sudan and in Chad, or it's the crisis in the Middle East right now. Um, we work with partners there, or in the United States, whether you're looking at the border or with refugee resettlement in the United States. Um, you know, all the things that a refugee family arriving at the airport needs when they first arrive. And we, of course, we have lots of opportunities for individual volunteers to be a part of coming alongside World Relief. The path is a way for people really anywhere to say, you know, I want to be a consistent part of this mission of empowering churches to serve the vulnerable. And and even, you know, to go beyond like just when there's a disaster, I want to help support that disaster. But frankly, if you trust World Relief to, to want to be able to go in quickly when there is a disaster. Um, it's our way to sustain our work to be able to, to work all over the world in partnership with local churches. Um, and we're really excited to be able to partner with you, Jamie, and with the Happy Hour community. Um, so that's a great opportunity. If you go to worldrelief.org slash Jamie Ivy, um, people can, can join the PATH community. It might be, in a, I could give you know $25 a month or I could give $50 a month, um, but it's just a way to sustainably help support the work that we do at World Relief of empowering local churches to serve the vulnerable all over the world. I love it so much. And I love, I'm always a fan of people who work through the local church, which is like you guys too. Now, if you go to that webpage, guys, worldrelief.org slash Jamie Ivy, you're going to get a free family refugee guide. And so this is something that I think is a little bit new here in the States. And I know you guys are um, working hard on this. A lot of people ask, like, what does it look like for me? Like, how do I do anything in in my, like, I can't go to the border. Like, maybe you can come to the border next time Bree and I take a trip and we'd love to have you. But what can I do? And I think that this guide is going to be really helpful for people. So Matt, you guys both know about this. You can both speak in, but I'll start with you, Matt. What does it look like to walk alongside a refugee family who showed up in the States? Yeah, I mean, so if people think about refugees, so people, by definition, they have fled their country because of persecution or a well-founded fear of persecution. Most of the time, they left their country and waited in some other country. So maybe these are Burmese folks sitting in Thailand or Syrians sitting in Jordan or uh, Ukrainians in Poland for often many years. I mean, some of my refugee friends, literally their second or third generation from the Mm. family that fled a conflict before they were given the opportunity to resettle. And just like any, if any of us were, you know, dropped halfway around the world in with a new language and a new culture, potentially a different religion majority around us, you would want people to be your friends. And that's a lot of the work that we do at World Relief. Um, And we can do that really actually anywhere in the United States at this point. Um, We can come alongside, you know, help a team from a church um, do what we call a good neighbor team. Uh, where a team from a church walks alongside a particular family as at least for the first six months or so we, we ask for a six month commitment, but we actually hope it becomes a lifelong friendship. It's just hard to ask people for a lifelong commitment. Uh, but 
you know, we we actually see that this becomes this mutual reciprocal relationship over time. And uh, and I love, you know, you mentioned this family guide. I'm I've got four kids, my wife and I, Diana, and I have four children, and we've really tried to do this as a family as well. Like, hey, you know, we have this new family in our community. And they have kids too. I mean, a lot of the families that are coming in have small children. And sadly, about roughly half of the people, the refugees in the world are children. You know, these are uh, mm-hmm. also a lot of refugee families have kids. And it's just something that we've been able to do as a family is come together and along with other families from other, you know, from our church or other churches. And one thing I love about this family guide is it helps, uh, you know, I've sometimes wondered, and I've like written the book for adults, right? Or a book uh, on the how to talk about refugees, but then all of a sudden I've got a six-year-old and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's kind of a deep kind of sensitive thing to talk about with my six-year-old. How do I do that? So I love one of my colleagues, um, I kind of spearheaded this out of North Carolina, putting together this guide for how do we help kids in age-appropriate ways think about this dynamic of displacement, mm-hmm. which is one of the greatest crises in our world right now and, and not going away anytime soon. Yeah, I love that. And I know I have not served a refugee family when I had small children, but when I did have small children, one of the greatest gifts I think you can give your kids is to bring them alongside whatever work you're doing. And so as I would show up at a high school that, you know, was in an underprivileged neighborhood and bring my kids with me, you know, or even now I serve at a, you know, a, a an organization that feeds people who are experiencing homelessness and to bring my kids with me is always such a joy. And so this is a great resource. You guys go check it out. Worldrelief.org slash Jamie Ivy. Now, Brie, I want to ask you this. Um, you and your community are actually about to walk alongside a refugee family showing up uh, where you live in Colorado. And so you're not, you're, you've started the process, you've got your people, but what made you, I know that you're in this work. And so people are like, Oh, it sounds obvious, but it is a it is a commitment that you're taking um, to do this, and you're gathering your people. Um, how has that been for you so far? Well, you know, it's really interesting because it is a lot. It is a lot of work, and I think you know a lot of people have this idea of man, I want to do something. I mean, the number one question I get at Women of Welcome that we all get is, "What can I do?" Mm-hmm. And not everybody can go to the border. Not every you know all the. All these things that we think, oh, well, I can't go to Capitol Hill and advocate. I can't do these things or whatever. And the truth is you can do some of these things, but it is a heavy lift. The thing that you could do in your community right now, apart from some really other good things like pray and donate to some of these things like the path and whatnot, is you could sponsor a family that is languishing in a refugee camp or in another country that's not their own. And they're trying, they're just hoping and praying that they're going to be able to start over, but they can't start over unless you take a step toward them. And it is a heavy lift. It's a big lift. But the way that I went about this is that I I started with my small group and, you know, it was the fall. And so we were like, what are we going to do for our fall resource? And I said, well, I've got an idea. Maybe we could do this for the fall. And I just kind of told them the big picture. You know, there's over 100 million forcibly displaced people around the world we're all looking at the headlines and just thinking, what can we do? The world is like burning right in front of us. What can we do? And I just said, you know, 35 million of that 100 million are designated as refugees, people who are fleeing persecution and they're waiting for someone to welcome them. And I just started unfolding this story of what would it look like if that was our family? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine? And I just started naming people. Could you imagine if... Josie or Mac or I or you or Josh, you know, like we're sitting waiting for someone to do some paperwork for us and to give sacrificially for a period of time to welcome us. And until we step towards them, they're just, their lives are in 
a holding pattern, you know? And I just remember, um, you know, kind of like after a couple of weeks, this was like a couple week conversation. And um, we decided to read the book together, Refuge Reimagined, which is another really great book about how do we think about refuge? And um, so I said, all right, let's have this be our book and let's let's talk about it. Whatnot. And then the next week I said, all right, let's revisit. You know, so I was kind of like letting people digest it in bite-sized chunks. And then finally I handed out, once I got everybody just kind of like, this is a good and worthy thing to do. I printed out the kind of task list that's associated with all that needs to be done. And I remember being like, okay, great. We're all in. This is good. All right. So this is what it's going to require of us. And I passed out the list. And everybody was just really quiet. You know, it's a long list. And I remember just, I, I'm hold, like, I'm holding myself back because I just want to be like an advocate and just get in there. And I remember one of the quietest husbands in our group took a deep breath and was like, well, if this is what we need to do. We're going to learn a lot about our city. We're going to learn a lot. Does anyone know how to do any of this? And everyone was like, you know, most of us live on the north side of town, haven't had to, you know, navigate bus transportation and all these things. And everyone just kind of like shook their head, like, we don't know what we're doing. And he was like, well, we're about to find out. Let's just sign the dotted line. And it was like the greatest Holy Spirit moment of, you know what? None of us have any margin to do this. None of us. And yet, if it was our family on the other side of the globe, would we want a group of people who have means, who have busy lives, who have connections to a local church, would we want them to say, we're going to create margin? Mm -hmm. We don't know how we're going to find it, but we're going to do it because if it was our family, we would want someone to be taking the charge for us too. Mm -hmm. And so we're in the process, you know, and so many families, I've walked alongside some other people who have done it and they keep signing back up. And that ought to tell you something. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's super hard. Here's the biggest challenge though is bringing people alongside with you who haven't had close proximity. Mm -hmm. And so you have to kind of take it in bite-sized chunks. I will say probably the most discouraging thing that people will say is, you know, I pitched it to my small group and people just, they didn't get it, you know? And then that's where Women of Welcome and World Relief can come in and say, we've got all kinds of people around the country mm -hmm. who are interested, but feel alone. And we make these connections and then you start doing it and you're like, how could I have never not done this before? I love it. This is convicting for me, Brie, because you know I have all this information in my email. No, no, Jamie is going to do this and I'm not putting her on the spot. She is going to do it because yeah. she she and I have had so many... Here's the thing I just have to tell you about Jamie because no, Jamie doesn't do this podcast to be like about herself. But can I just tell you, ladies, like when you wonder if people are the real deal, Jamie's the real deal. I mean, she is a loyal friend. She wants to get into the messy margins. There's nothing fake about her. And I love that she keeps showing up for hard things. And so if you're wondering, if you didn't already know, Jamie's the real deal. Well, you're so kind. I do have the email in my inbox. And I've got to <laughs> gather my people. Aaron and I talk about this all the time. He's like, we need to get our people together. I'm like, I know. I just need to wrap my head around this. And I keep saying, December is my month. Like, I'm going to slow down from work and do that. The margin. It's hard. You yeah. have to fight. I just feel like, you know, none of us feel like we have margin for anything new, especially because our kids are pulling us in all these directions and our jobs and stuff. And yet you just have to keep coming back to 
loving your neighbor well. If mm-hmm. it were my family, if it were my family, would I hope that someone would just figure out how to create the margin to do it? Because we'll find margin for other things that mm-hmm. we that are yeah. important, mm-hmm. right? So just continue to put in front of you your own family being in that situation and say, what would I hope someone would be fighting for for me? Yeah, yeah, so good. Matt, I want to ask you this as we get to the end of this conversation is I think a lot of people, we talked about this, they are kind of, this feels overwhelming. They're not really sure. And, you know, we've had a lot of public discourse and I'd say media about why we should be afraid of people who are coming to our country, immigrating to our country. Maybe they have been refugees and you don't have to go into it, but you've told us about how over the years, different years that the numbers of refugees allowed in have just, it's just, you know, roller coastered a lot. Can you just give us a quick little encouragement of why as followers of Jesus for sure, but I think just to me, let's just say as humans, why should this not feel scary to us? It can feel scary as like, I don't know what to do, but being scared of refugees, I think is an underlying conversation that sometimes people feel and they don't know where it's from. And they maybe be afraid to say it. Like they might be, unless they're in that private women welcome group to go like, I'm really actually scared of refugees. Can you give us a little encouragement why that shouldn't, we should not be afraid of refugees? Yeah. I mean, I, I know why people are afraid and it has a lot to do with media consumption. And, you know, there's politicians, frankly, who like sell a lot of TV ads and win elections by telling you to be afraid. Um, but I mean, I've known a lot of refugees. It's a huge part of the privilege of my job. And what's most important, I think, to know is refugees are just human beings. Mm-hmm. They're human beings like each of us in circumstances really different. You know, I'm thankful that I've not had the circumstances that my refugee friends have had to go through where they didn't have a choice but to get up in the middle of the night and leave their homes and flee. But I've been close enough to that that I could at least imagine it. And my wife always tells me I'm a little bit paranoid. I I always get passports for my, we have four kids. As soon as they're born, they have passports because I was the legal counselor who's seen the families that had to like leave a child behind because one Mm. kid didn't have a passport. And I'm, you know, you might think, well, that's, we're in the United States of America. That could never happen. But you know what? Like Syria was a lovely country 15 years ago where no Mm. one thought this could happen 20 years ago or Venezuela, you know, not that long ago. And again, I don't, it, they're just people like us who've been in really awful circumstances. Many of them brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm. Um, and sometimes that's why they were persecuted. I mean, we we met someone in that circumstance even on our, our trip a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and others who are not Christians, who might never have encountered the story of the gospel had they stayed in their country of origin. And yet they come into this country where we're blessed with religious freedom, where we're free to share our faith and they're free to receive it or to reject it. And we totally respect their religious freedom as well. But they're in a context where they could make that choice to follow Jesus, which they, they would never have perhaps even had that option mm. had they stayed where they were. So to me, that's, I mean, I think this is such an incredible opportunity for the church. And that requires us to push past some of the fear. I think most of the fear is not actually rational. Sometimes, so there are real concerns. And I think, you know, I don't want to minimize this and say it's all easy or there's not, you know, complicated questions involved. A lot of the fears are based on inaccurate things. Like if you look at the vetting process for refugees in particular, and again, this is a separate situation than the border dynamics that we were dealing with a few weeks ago. Refugees come through the airport. They've been vetted by the U.S. government uh, after a multi-year process at the invitation of our country. Um, But even those people coming over the border, you know, most of them we learned, they're looking for the U.S. government to ask for help, to Mm -hmm. ask for asylum, to ask to be considered. And, you know, we experienced this, and I've experienced this every time I've been at the border. So often... They are moms with kids or dads and moms with kids, uh, often motivated by 
the hope for their families that I can totally identify with and often relying upon a faith in Jesus that I can identify with too. Sometimes, frankly, putting me to shame in terms of how much they have relied on Jesus because I turn to Jesus sometimes as a last resort, but I've got things mostly taken care of. And yet these are people who every step of a terrible journey have had to do so in faith that God will provide, that God will protect them. And I would hope that if we can just put ourselves in those shoes and you know even see those stories in the stories of scripture uh, to allow that to take one more step, whether that's saying, I'm going to volunteer, uh, I'm going to be part of a good neighbor team, form a team to welcome a refugee family. I'm going to, you know, I'm not ready for that, but I'm going to read one Bible verse per day for the next 40 days and just see if, if my faith can be uh, the gr- starting point for this conversation and pray that God would give me his heart on this issue. Uh, for some, it will impact how they vote. For some, it will impact, you know, um, how they give the path or however. But I would just say, just to take that first step and say, where are you asking me, God, to lean in here? NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Like I mentioned earlier, the three of us were on a trip in November, and we stayed in San Diego. We went down to Tijuana and visited um, a church there with the pastor who was doing great work in our community. And we met with Border Patrol, and we met with another pastor who's doing great work on the U.S. side of the border. And we just saw a lot and did a lot. And that's my um, third trip on a border trip. You guys, this is your life. You do this all the time. And so I want to ask you, like, just if you could just sum up, what was something that that you left with on this particular trip and I'll start, I'll share something. There's a lot of things that I left. We heard, we heard two, I heard a story at a table with Bree actually um, of a, of a father and his children. And then we heard a story from a, um, um, a refugee who had come to our country uh, because of um, persecution. Yeah. Persecution. Yes. She came here. And I always like to think that those stories are really moving and I hate that a story has to move me because I'm like, oh, that was really kind. That was like their most vulnerable moment. And they poured it out to a stranger who got up and left 20 minutes later. And I have so much tension with that. And and at the same time, I'm grateful that it moved me. So there's a lot of tension around that. But I'll say to you guys, one of the things that I left from our trip most um, that when I look back on was super, super convicting to me, like very convicting, is we met a woman who was doing so much work for people on the border and we heard her story and we saw what she was doing and then we left and someone told us she's not even a christian and i'm telling you i have not stopped thinking about that because there's we, we have met a lot of people doing amazing work and i just always assume oh they love jesus that's why they're doing this and i was convicted by that because i was like She's doing this because she's just a good person. Like, it's not even an overflow of the gospel has changed her life. And so, therefore, she wants to, like, change others and be a part. So 
that was very convicting for me. But I'd love to hear from you guys as people who travel often and, and hear stories and see situations. Was there something that you left with on this trip that was like, oh, that was super impactful or that was meaningful or I'd never thought about that? Anything you can share with us? Matt, go ahead. You know, one thing that was new for me was uh, we did hear this particular uh, testimony from a woman who's been served by a good neighbor team for World Relief in Southern California. And without sharing too many details of her story, but she was from the Middle East and became a Christian. And that was the reason she had to flee her country and fled um, via uh, the only place she could get a plane ticket to was Venezuela. And then she journeyed all the way up to the U.S.-Mexico border and was actually applied for asylum and was granted asylum. Thank God. And she's uh, still has a hard road in front of her and her good neighbor team has just been amazing walking alongside her. But like she's safe in the United States now. What was on my mind hearing that story, again, I tend to connect things back to public policy, but they're right now in Washington, D.C. debating changes to U.S. asylum policy. And probably there needs to be some changes to U.S. asylum policy in terms of how things are processed. It's not working well. But what is really important to me is that we not throw out the baby with the bathwater mm. in terms of giving up on this principle of asylum, this principle of due process for those who's, who profess to have a well-founded fear of persecution. We've never said it would leave. Everybody who shows up should be allowed in. That's not our position. We have said everybody ought to have the opportunity to show that they qualify under U.S. law, at least as it currently is, is written, to stay and be protected. And frankly, many of the proposals that are on the table right now um, in the House of Representatives, a bill that's already passed and now is being considered to some extent in the U.S. Senate, like our, the woman we heard from would not qualify for asylum if that mm. bill passed. And I think that's really concerning to me. It um, is very concerning. We have to, you know, we have to have a more orderly process. We need more resources. It's clearly not working very well now. And yet we can't just give up on the idea of offering protection to those who fled a well-founded fear of persecution for their Christian faith or, or for their other reasons. Mm. That story, I, uh, I wept at my hospital room that night. Um, at the first time we we were in your hotel room, in my right? hospital. God, we didn't the hospital, right? A hospital <laughs> did we? Because that we've been down that road, Jamie. Okay. I wept in my hotel room after hearing her story. And again, I felt so much tension if she didn't have to give that to us. And how, like, I, she doesn't know my name. And she told me one of the most vulnerable stories of her whole life. And yet, I do believe stories change the world. And I think when we invite people into our stories, it helps them. And I do think that her offering that to us was a massive offering of helping us think about that. Brie, what about you from our trip? I would say this is probably one of the most uh difficult trips coming back i think for me and i think the reason why was because you know we try we try very hard during these trips to really craft uh balanced and impactful experiences and we also try and go and leave the smallest footprint possible because it is an enormous ask to have local people and people who live in this and this is their reality slow down and educate a bunch of us who are just popping in and so we we hold these we call them immersion experiences very tenderly and we that's why we partner with people who are local there on the ground um i i had a really hard time spending time at the wall with um, Pastor Alex and this gal that Jamie had just talked about who was not a believer. And um, what we saw was something that was really unique and it was something that was a gift to us in a beautifully horrific sense. 
in that we have never been allowed to go and do something like this before. And that was to go and to an undisclosed area of the U.S. border and the fence line and see people who are, are being housed in between the fences. And there, there are a lot of headlines about now these days learning about these what we call open air detention sites that are in between double portions of the wall. There are areas of our border wall that have double portions, meaning that there's two fences there and then they, and um, that there is just such an influx of people right now that they are holding people outside exposed to the elements barbed wired between the two fences. And I had a really hard time seeing people housed like cattle in between the border fences. And to just, that's my country. That's my country. And that is, that is, if you can call it a welcome mat, that's the welcome mat. And um, people could argue, yeah, well, we're just doing our due diligence and all of these things, but it really does go back to safe and secure borders and humane treatment of people. I mean, some of these open air sites don't even have porta potties. They don't, they don't have any shelter. So if it rains or if, you know, whatever the elements are outside, no matter how old you are, if you have an infant or you have a teenager, you're exposed to the elements out there for as long as whatever. And so, um, as long as they have you there. So that one, I mean, I went around the back of the van and I almost threw up. I just, um, I was, I, that one has been a really hard one to come back for, for me. And so on these trips, you know, the theme is choosing proximity and the proximity changes you. We talk about this a lot when every time you and I talk about things, it's just uh, proximity is powerful and you can't unsee what you see. And so you just realize that is, that's an image bearer. That's a human being that's being fenced and corralled like cattle. Mm -hmm. And my question is, why does it have to be that way? Mm -hmm. And the simple answers just don't hold this irrefutable weight when you're standing in front of a mom who's being held in between the fence lines with their son with disabilities and they don't know how long they're going to be there and why they're there in the first place. And they're just at the mercy of one of the most powerful nations in the world. And this is, this is the welcome map. So I, I have not recovered from that. Um, Yes. That was really, really hard. And Jessica mentioned on our last interview, she was one of the gals who was with us on a trip and also went and experienced this this part of the border and, and what was happening there. And she lives, she's a resident of San Diego. And she said that they have been contacting and doing some work. And she said just recently in the news, there were people that had been there for three days, you know, still stuck. And um, so I love her and her mom, Elise, have started um working with some organizations down there. So it's really beautiful. You guys, I am really grateful for both of you in so many ways. I'm going to put all of your books, all of your resources. If you would like a, a family guide for how to talk to your kids, we'll put that in there from World Relief. If you want to be a part of Women of Welcome, we'll put that in there. All of your books. I just think too, if people are like, I don't really know what to do. And I'm like, I'm such a reader and I think books have just so much power. And I'm like, grab one of these books and it'd be such a help. But I also want to tell you guys personally, and I feel a little, I feel a little tender about this is I'm just grateful for the way that you guys continue to show up. And this is hard, hard work because honestly, like I say this all the time. 
I, I could live my whole life and not think about this. Like I live in, you know, the Southwest side of Austin. I have like <laughs> a big house and property and my kids go to a, a well-funded school and I work in my office and I go to a church and my city's predominantly white. And I literally could go my whole life and never think about this. And I'm just really grateful that in 2019, my life intersected with Brie and I just feel like it's important for us to talk about. And so I'm just really grateful for you guys and the work that you do and the way that you keep this on the forefront of my mind. I mean, like, you know, I just like, I want to keep it on the forefront of my mind, which I love taking trips. I love hanging out with Brie and Matt. I love hanging out with you now, but honestly, it's very selfish. I'm like, I need this on the forefront of my mind as, as I do this. And so I'm grateful for you guys. And maybe we'll have more conversations in 2024 around what's happening uh, in the world. Um, so thanks for coming on the happy hour. The happy hour is produced and hosted by myself, Jamie Ivy, with assistance from Nikki Ogden and Ashley Caldwell. And the show is edited by Jason Talley. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring. Full throttle is half the fun. Where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.